Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetsluk, and today is the evening of Sunday, May the 2nd, 2021. Joining me via Zoom are three top writers and analysts of the NK Pro team to discuss some of the latest developments in and around North Korea. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you all, please, to leave a review about this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you use, and please share this with your colleagues and friends and even enemies and strangers on the subway. Secondly, check out NK News, where you can find all the in-depth stories written by the excellent journalists that I'll be talking to today. Consider buying a subscription for a year. It's more affordable than you think. In fact, if you sign up for the annual plan, it's less than a dollar a day, and that helps to fund the excellent journalism and analysis that my colleagues put out every single day. If you're already an NK News subscriber, think about upgrading to NK Pro. Now, to introduce our three guests today, joining me via Zoom, we have Peter Ward, James Fretwell, and Min Chow Choi. Peter is our occasional contributor to NK Pro, while James and Min Chow are on the permanent regular NK News and NK Pro staff. Uh, welcome to all of you, and thanks for joining me here on this Sunday night. Thanks Thank you very much. Thanks, Jacko. James, remind me, have you been on the podcast before? I, I know that I thank you every episode for your help in facilitating this audio extravaganza, but is this actually your first time to be on this side of the mic? <laughs> uh, I was on very briefly. You can find me in the, uh, the special 100th episode, but no, this is my first time properly featuring in the, in the podcast, so it's great to be here. There you go. This is your debut, your coming out party. Good luck with that. Uh, Minchat, you're just back from a week's vacation. How did it feel being away? Do you ever feel anxiety that the big story will break while you're away? Well, I think I got what I was anxious about all throughout my vacation this morning. Um, <laughs> waking up at 6 a.m. to many, many presents from KCNA. But <laughs> my actual vacation was fine. I, I'm very good at turning off. That is good. Excellent. And Peter, how's it going there with the PhD? Nearly finished? couple more chapters to write at least but i uh, hope to have it done by the end of the year excellent all right well let's get into it so to set the scene for our listeners last week wednesday april 28th president joe biden gave a speech to congress in which he mentioned north korea and on the same day the u.s state department issued a damning statement about north korea's human rights record meanwhile last friday we found out that the uh, u.s policy review on north korea had been completed and this weekend North Korea released two statements responding to both of those pieces of news, perhaps the presence that Min Chao referred to just a second ago. And we also have some news about Kim Yo-jong and her feelings about leaflets and a revealing letter sent by Kim Jong-un to a meeting of the Socialist Youth League. And we're hoping to get through all of that today. So let's start off with uh, President Biden's speech to the combined houses of Congress. Uh, what did President Biden say about North Korea during that speech? Uh, James, do you want to kick that off? Yeah, and um, he only touched on North Korea very briefly. He said that he's going to deal with Iran and North Korea uh, with a mixture of diplomacy and also stern deterrence. So diplomacy will be um, some form of diplomatic outreach. It's very unlikely that the Biden administration will pursue the same kind of uh, summit-driven meetings with, with Kim Jong-un at the, the leadership level. He probably won't do that. And the talks will, that the Biden administration will probably be pursuing will be lower level. It remains to be seen whether North Korea is really interested in that kind of uh, engagement. 
The stern deterrence, I think, is a reference to the US ROK alliance, as well as sanctions, which the Biden administration will be really looking to up the pressure on to force Pyongyang back to the negotiation table and hopefully uh, eventually give up the nuclear weapons. Yeah, so uh, diplomacy and deterrence, it's a good two-word alliterative sort of summary. It does sound quite a bit different from where we were under President Obama. So on the same day, the State Department made a statement about human rights in North Korea. Was this renewed focus on the issue expected under a Biden administration? Yeah, I think absolutely. The Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, has been really advocating um, uh, to, to, to put North Korean human rights back in the spotlight. And it also looks like we'll probably at some point get a uh, another... U.S. special representative for North Korean human rights. I'm glad the, you mentioned that. We haven't seen yes. one since uh, Robert King finished his term with the outgoing Obama administration back in January 2017. So it's been a little bit over four years with no special envoy for uh, North Korean human rights. Yeah, the Trump administration, um, President Trump started out being quite critical of North Korea, of North Korean human rights at the beginning of his presidency. But um, after his summitry with Kim Jong-un, um, that kind of pressure on the human rights side kind of died down, perhaps to facilitate diplomacy and denuclearization. Okay, Min Chow, anything to add so far? We don't want to get into the North Korean response just yet, but just on the, the news out of the US? Well, just going over what White House spokesperson Jen Psaki said about the policy review being over, that was... A ah, I haven't got onto that one yet, sorry. Ah, <laughs> just, ah okay. Just on, we're on Wednesday still. Oh, sorry about that. Um, okay. So, uh, no. All right. So then on Friday, uh, yes, we got this announcement that the United States government had finished its lengthy and detailed policy review. The news coming out of the White House, specifically through uh, White House spokesperson Jen Psaki's statement, is revealing, um, I think because there have been rumors about the review being completed as early as last month. Um, oh. but that there had been delays in its rollout and it being uh, unveiled within the last week uh, really kind of points towards timing. Like we have the U.S. ROK Summit coming up, it, internal timing as well. State Department usually does its uh, internal reviews in springtime. Sorry, to get back to your question, um, not every administration does a policy review, but it really seems like uh, the Biden administration went out of its way to message that it was undergoing a policy review and took its time doing it. Yes. And I remember also at the time uh, last month, not being sure whether we would hear if and when it was completed and any details about it. So uh, was this expected that the White House would, would make a statement uh, to say that it had been finished? From what I understand, Jensaki was responding to a journalist question. I can't speak about whether they were going to make a statement statement. But yeah, I mean, I according to people that I've talked to and, and sources, the policy review was supposed to have rolled out um, maybe middle of last month. And then just because mostly timing delays uh, is uh, prepared now. Now, James, you've just finished a very long analysis piece for NK Pro subscribers. Uh, were you able to glean some details of what was achieved uh, in the review, what the results were? Uh, details are a bit thin at the moment, unfortunately. 
unfortunately, um, as I said, the, the new strategy is going to involve some kind of diplomacy, some kind of deterrence. Um, I think what we're all really interested in is to how that's going to balance out because offering uh, North Korea, you know, um, saying that, that we're open to talks mm. and we're open to perhaps a, um, a more phased approach to denuclearization. Well, what exactly is that going to involve? What, what level of concessions, what level of sanctions relief is going to be met with what level of denuclearization? You know, how many sanctions for for how many nukes? I think um, I think the the details are going to be really important here. Certainly. Now, is the 2018 Singapore agreement signed between President Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un still deemed valid by the Biden administration, and is it still a basis for building something new? Well, that remains to be seen. But um, according to the Washington Post this week, they interviewed an unnamed senior administration official, and that official said that um, they will build on the on the Singapore agreement. So this would be this would be quite something and perhaps um, an avenue for talks between the US and North Korea in the future. There's a little bit of doubt whether Biden would build on the Singapore agreement because it was uh, achieved under uh, former President Donald Trump and Trump's um, name has, has kind of been uh, tainted when it comes to North Korea policy. He's, he's kind of um, seen by a lot of people as just pursuing this kind of empty diplomacy with Kim Jong-un uh, just for his own political gain and for the, for the photos. Yes. Uh, now, Peter, a question for you. Uh, what's your feeling on how this current Democratic administration's policy on North Korea might differ from that of, say, President Obama and, and President Clinton before it? I think uh, the options are very different, but I don't know how big the differences will be. Uh, with respect to effectiveness, I also worry that uh, they will also be will also be similarly ineffectual. Uh, you know, because North Korea is obviously far further along on nuclear developmental uh, trajectory than it was five years ago. Mm. The same with missiles. There is very limited uh, room for additional uh, multilateral cooperation on sanction on uh, strengthening sanctions further or on actually enforcing sanctions, uh, which means I'm not entirely sure how much more they can do. If anything, the relationship with China is the primary variable. It's the thing that uh, everyone says. So I'm, uh, I'm you mean majority. the U.S. relationship with China? Yeah. The U.S. relationship with China is, seems to be uh, a major variable in all of this. And there are a few signs that it's getting better. If anything, it's getting worse. And mm. it seems to be deteriorating rapidly. And if the relationship gets worse, I believe that gives more leverage to North Korea to um, engage in provoca provocative activities and uh, pr yeah, engage in provocative behaviors that can potentially give it leverage in diplomatic interactions with the United States. Now, uh, Minchao, let's unwrap some of the presents that KCNA sent for you on your first day back from vacation this morning. Ah, sure. I think that. Yeah, how did North Korea respond to uh, to things out of the U.S.? The most spicy, I think, because it's Kim Yo Jong, and Kim Yo Jong is spicy, uh, is her reaction to an alleged leaflet launch that the North detected. And in a statement issued by her, um, she is the deputy secretary of the Propaganda and Education Department, I believe. Mm. Um, she criticized mostly South Korea for allowing this act to happen. Uh, she said, quote unquote, North Korean defectors, as if calling that into question. Ah. I haven't seen that kind of like 
quote unquote stuff used very often. And yeah, just warning about vague consequences continues. And uh, I think that theme of vague consequences was echoed throughout the three statements issued by one Kim Yo-jong and then two statements by North Korea's foreign ministry um, mm-hmm. that I covered this morning. There was also, uh, I'm sure we'll get into this later in the podcast, but a uh, message from Kim Jong-un to uh, the youth. I, I, Socialist I, Youth League. Yeah, thank you. Socialist Youth League. <laughs> I'm forgetting their name, and and then um, it's had, it's had several name changes, so that it, it's quite fair. Uh, it once had a very long name, didn't it, Peter? Something with Kim Il Songism yeah. in in the name. So Kim Il Sung, Kim Jong Il uh, Youth League, or maybe Kim Il Songism, Kim, Kim Jong Ilism uh, Youth League, but they just changed the name actually at the most recent Congress, um, which itself is quite interesting for what it says about the evolution of ideology and personality cults of the Kims under Kim Jong-un. But we can come back to that later, if you like. We definitely will. I've got quite a number of questions about that one. But uh, yes, do, uh, do go on, Min Chao. Oh, sure. That was a very graceful save. Thank you both. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, North Korea's foreign ministry issued two statements. And one of them was slamming uh, U.S. President Joe Biden's most recent speech to Congress. And that was his first speech to Congress since his inauguration as well. And another foreign ministry statement that condemned uh, the State Department's message about North Korea uh, Freedom Week. Um, mm. As James referenced, that was uh, issued by Ned Price and included some language, well, I mean, focused a lot uh, on North Korea's response to COVID-19, calling the shoot-to-kill, quote-unquote, orders draconian, and said that the civilized world has no place for such brutality. An unnamed spokesperson from the foreign ministry uh, clapped back at that in a way that is not entirely convincing, mostly because half of the argument was uh, the U.S. is trying to weaponize what human rights are. And then the other half was, well, the U.S. is also a hotbed of you know, racial inequality, uh, gun violence, uh, failure to control COVID-19, just kind of like this list of faults, which I found legitimate, but um, less convincing in this context when talking about human, human rights violations. Uh, the second statement was actually directly attributed to the Director General of the Department of U.S. Affairs in the Foreign Ministry, Kwon jong uh-huh. Uh, This was in direct reaction to uh, U.S. President Biden's statements during his speech to Congress, calling North Korea and Iran a a serious threat. Um, So his main point was that Biden had, quote unquote, blundered um, and that North Korea will be prepared or compelled to do corresponding measures if the U.S. keeps up its hostility. So, again, like both of these statements had these... uh, vague threats, the words corresponding measures were used in both messages. Uh, right. Be kind of like a talking point or um, phrase that uh, the foreign ministry has, has decided to use when it comes to talking about hostile, quote-unquote, U.S. policy. It, corresponding it sounds, measures. It, it sounds like a reference to the, um, the, equivalent, the equivalent phrase for uh, after the Singapore Declaration, isn't that right? They, they use the expression corresponding measures. If uh, we we will we will provide we will in, enact certain forms of you know certain uh, measures to realize uh, denuclearization in in exchange for corresponding measures. Really, and also in one of the statements this weekend, wasn't there uh, power for power and goodwill for goodwill? 
So Kim Jong-un coined that at the Eighth Party Congress in <laughs> January. That has been uh, that phrase has been used a couple of times since by um, North Korean diplomats in in these kind of foreign ministry statements. But that wasn't used in the statements today, I don't believe. But, right, you, know, but the, you can the put the term... it in the same basket, though, can't you? Power for right. power, goodwill for goodwill, corresponding so. measures. Yeah, and let's take the um, the condemnation on the on the human the U.S.'s <laughs> condemnation on the human rights, for example. That mm-hmm. was an example of corresponding measures, or you know, lack of goodwill for goodwill from the North Korean perspective. They mm-hmm. were saying, if you're going to bash our human rights, if you're going right. to try and tarnish our image on the international stage, we're going to throw it right back at you and point out all the problems in U.S. society with yeah. COVID and uh, guns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So. Uh... As Minchow mentioned, the racial inequality thing. Peter, I think uh, years ago, uh, we looked at an article in a uh, sort of North Korean global affairs, current affairs kind of magazine uh, about uh, racial inequality and injustices in the United States. Uh, It's very good minor, but you might remember more. Yeah, no, I wrote up actually an article about um, the Korean Central Yearbook's depiction of uh, U.S. politics and society. Uh, over the Cold War period. I also looked at the Career Central Yearbooks uh, stuff after that. Career Central Yearbooks, sorry, is published by uh, KCNA, the Korean mm. Central News Agency, uh, okay. which, you know, uh, North Korea's wire agency. Uh, but yes, there are depicted this, the, uh, the, the document that uh, Minchai was talking about very much fits with their standard boilerplate analysis of U.S. Uh, politics and society since the 1960s, if not before. Right. Okay. So it's nothing new <laughs> that we're seeing here, but it is, uh, yeah, the, the standard tropes being wheeled out again, I suppose. I mean, you're, uh, the former Soviet Union also made a big deal Absolutely. of, um, like U.S. Uh, race, race relations and, and as a critique of U.S political environment so there is a there is a history of it being uh this kind of talking point being used in the past i do have to say though that if anything last year made it very clear that these issues i mean still affect uh, and impact the u.s in many different ways so i I actually um it's not wrong No. Oh, that's the best criticism. The best, the best way, the best way to criticize your opponents is to criticize them for things they're act, they actually do and actually have done, rather than invent in, invent things that they haven't done. That's true. But we should also remember that. Just uh, I'm I'm reminded when we talk about things like this of the uh, the book I once picked up at the uh, tiny tiny bookstore that they had at the Nampur West Sea Barrage, mm. uh, and it was a book in English published in the 1990s about Horrible Human Rights Abuses in South Korea. Uh, and it was uh, published by some kind of uh, committee for the investigation of human rights abuses in South Korea located in North Korea. Uh, and looking through the book, which I bought, and I think I might have it on a shelf somewhere, uh, I was amused to see that all the report, all the information, all the sources for human rights abuses in South Korea were in fact South Korean media. <laughs> and I, I'm, I, that reminds me that uh, you know uh, North Korea is able to uh, say these uh, things, true things, as you point out rightly, Mincha, say these true things about you know gun control and and, and uh, racial injustice in the United States, precisely because it has access to uh, United States media that reports on these things. Yeah, yeah, that's um, I agree with you. Uh, we 
really don't have the same kind of environment in which to talk about more extreme human rights abuses other than testimony of people who managed to defect. Right. I can I I I completely agree with that. Um, but Kim Jong Un does drop hints occasionally in some of his speeches, and it would be lovely to read some exposés in Rodong Shimon about some of the things he uh, complains about. Hmm. Uh, now, would you say, Mincha, that uh, North Korea um, is leaving the door open for diplomacy here with these latest statements? Well, I do have to say that reading the tea leaves on politics is not actually my beat. But I will repeat what was told to me by experts that. This is kind of like a, almost like a similar springtime cycle of North Korea ratcheting up tensions again in order to get attention or, um, in order to, uh, create relevance for itself. And part of that is this vague threat environment and making it conditional as in, well, if the U.S. no longer pursues its hostile policy, then, you know, maybe we would be interested in talking. So right. it does it does leave the door open, and yet we can kind of see a path that has been well trod, especially last year, with uh, increasingly heated statements from Kim Yo Jong uh, over the leaflet issue that resulted in the demolition of the liaison office. And I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they've well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the result is similar. Now, James, I believe there were some attempts by the U.S. to get in touch with North Korea in the last month or two. Uh, but they were all rebuffed, weren't they? Yeah, the Biden administration did say that it had reached out to North Korea, but that North Korea um, hadn't picked up the phone, basically. Um, that might be because um, North Korea, under the Trump administration, it, it might have got used to direct leader-to-leader -leader correspondence straight from the White House, you know, these, these uh, letters from Donald Trump directly to Kim Jong-un. And they might not be, you know, right now, they're, they're, they might not be interested in, in lower level talks. I mm. think sometimes we have this image um, that the outside world, you know, we can, we can leverage our pressure on North Korea and eventually North Korea will be so desperate to come back to the negotiating table to accept breadcrumbs in exchange for nuclear weapons, but um, perhaps from the North Korean perspective, they see themselves uh, in a way with the upper hand and that actually it's their nuclear arsenal that keeps getting stronger and stronger. And they are saying the longer you wait, the longer you um, keep this hostile sanctions policy on us, the, um, the, the bigger the concession is going to have to be for us to... Um, give up some of these nuclear weapons. Yeah, so it seems like both sides are uh, currently uh, singing versions of uh, the Rolling Stones' time, it's on my side. <laughs> um, have there been any responses from the South Korean government at all to either President Biden's speech or the news about the policy review's completion? Moon Jae-in is going to have a summit with um, President Biden um, oh, this month, it's May now, and I expect they'll make some comments on North Korea then. I, I think when, when, um, the, the foreign ministers, um, and national security of, of the US and South Korea meet, of course, they come out with the joint statements that, um, they're, that they're very, um, much on the same, same wavelength when it comes to North Korea. 
But I, I would imagine behind the scenes, there is a bit of, of tension, of conflicts going on. I think um, the US is probably quite reluctant to engage in the kind of um, diplomacy that South Korea, that the Moon Jae-in administration would want. The Moon Jae-in administration has been very pro-reconciliation um, throughout um, this year and last year and, and for, for much of his term in office, um, President Moon has been uh, floating ideas for inter-Korean cooperation. I think he's going to keep, keep doing this yeah. uh, until the end of his presidency next year. Got about um, 11 months to whether, go, isn't he? Yeah. So whether he can, um, whether he can convince the Biden administration to pursue, um, any of his ideas, uh, remains to be seen. Let's talk a little bit more about the, um, the anti-leafleting law that, uh, we, um, Minchia made mention of, uh, a statement that, uh, Kim Yo-jong made over the weekend. Um, I'm curious, did she, ever uh, thank the South Korean government for passing the anti-leafleting law in the first place? Hmm, I don't think so. But did did she even ever acknowledge it? <laughs> I'm pretty... She knows that uh, um, I imagine Ms. Kim is very well read. And every level of go uh, government knows that this exists. Some analysts were uh, thinking that this was uh, the North's way of trying to get ahead of an announcement by um, controversial uh, and prominent um, North Korean defector turned activist in South Korea, uh, Park Sang... Park Sang-hak. Park Sang-hak, thank you, uh, that he released leaflets uh, via balloon um, sometime in the last week. Uh, and it's possible that she was referring to those leaflets and... Yet, because neither side provided concrete evidence of when and where this actual event happened, um, it's mm -hmm. pretty unclear. Was she trying to put the fear of God into the South Korean government? Is that a little bit what she's trying to do here? I've had experts tell me that this is almost this is more opportunistic than mm. it is um, a a real threat or or a as you put it, trying to put the fear of God into the South Korean administration. It seems that the lack of detail over the uh, leaflet launch um, and the kind of statements holding the South Korean government accountable for the actions of the defectors or quote-unquote North Korean defectors just feels reactionary, or is that what I was told? Mm. Peter, have you read anything in South Korean media lately about how uh, the South Korean government's feeling about all this? Uh, not very happy about it, but they, they are, they are being very, very, um, shall we say, uh, temperate in their response. Right. Uh, they they did talk about, ahead, they? yes, but they did talk about trying to get compensation from the North Koreans for the demolition of the, the, the liaison office. That was yes, like, that oh. was interesting. Who exactly said that? Who floated that idea? I think it, I don't know. It may have been the Minister of Unification, but then again, he was also oh. talking about the two countries merging their economies. So. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't was, think it was um, the minister himself. James, have you got any detail on that? Yeah, it was uh, Foreign Minister Chong Yi-yong ah, that, that said ah. that. Ah, the so he said, the let's get some compensation. Hmm. Yeah, but the unification minister, yeah, he, he did float the idea of um, of unifying the two Korean economies uh, under uh, different political systems. Yeah, he made a comparison with the European Union, which was very amusing too. That, wow, well, you, gosh, um, you do have to walk before you can run, but. 
Boy. Has there been any response at all to, uh, by the South Korean government to Kim Yo-jong's uh, slightly hawkish statements this weekend? Actually, yes. Uh, uh, we do know that the Ministry of Unification issued a position, um, mm-hmm. and that was in Korean, which discussed... Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of whenever these statements come out, it's like, oh, so unfortunate. Um, but like the gist of it was that, uh, you know, South Korea and the Ministry of Unification condemns or opposes any action that creates tension. The government has best, has done its best to protect the lives of the, of its border residents and, um, input, advance peace on the Korean peninsula, like a lot of mm. points. So in a way, just kind of saying, we've received your message and just like this kind of like soft, um, hedging. Just to add to on on that, the tone is always there's no direct criticism of the North, from what I can right. see. You know, it's always indirect. It's like if any country, including the North, is to behave in such a manner, we've obviously opposed and condemned. But um, right. there, there's no direct uh, attack on the North, which is which is in marked contrast to uh, you know obviously Kim Jong's statement. Yes, it, it is. The tone is always so different, isn't it? I get the feeling that. That Moon's government is always saying, "Come on, can't we be nice about it? Uh, you know, be be less disagreeable about our disagreements, that kind of thing." Mm, I think um, the Moon administration at the moment is in a, a, a sticky situation with with the Pakistan leaflets. If he, uh, if the if the administration does punish uh, Pakistan, then uh, then they're going to be uh, criticised for. Um, succumbing to the demands of Kim Yo Jong and um, for appeasing yeah. North Korea, the North Korean regime, this human rights abuser, um, in order to pursue diplomacy. But of course, if they don't punish Park Sang Hak, then um, it it kind of weakens the the strength of this law, which only I believe came into effect um, last month. I also think this this leaflet issue is is just as interesting an inter-Korean issue as it is a foreign relations issue, mm. um, especially in America, because um, from the passing of this law, um, there have been a, a lot of op-eds in American media condemning yep. the Moon administration um, for um, what they say is clamping down on the free speech of North Korean defectors. Right. So, you know, um, Moon's got his summit coming up with Biden. He'll be in America. He'll be trying to push forward this idea that the best way to achieve North Korean denuclearization is by diplomacy, by having talks with Kim Jong-un. Um, but he's going to have to fight against this image that, um, that he's essentially appeasing the dictatorship. Yeah, that is certainly a very, very awkward. I, I don't envy him his position uh, at all. Um, let's move on to our last topic for today. Peter, I understand you have something to share with us about a letter sent by Kim Jong-un to the Socialist Youth League Congress. Yeah, generally speaking, um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of, of the works of the leadership for the simple reason that they often reveal things about the system and problems with the system, or at least uh, how the leadership, how, um, how the Kims themselves and uh, the people around them see the problems of the system. 
that we can't get from other sources. So this um, this letter, um, it's not the first time I've read a letter to a to a, a, a meeting of of officials of a particular industry or a particular uh, sector, um, and found it to be fascinating. But this uh, this was the first one that's been as int- this is the first one in a while, put it that way. Um, well, could you set the scene for us briefly by telling what is this youth congress? So it's the tenth congress of uh, the Youth League. Uh, it'll be uh, senior officials and officials picked from across the country to act as delegates for um, youth cells across the country. Uh, they meet in Pyongyang, um, and uh, yes, they will uh, they, they will give speeches on the greatness of the party line. Uh, Just to clarify, uh, what's the age of members of the Youth League? Fourteen to thirty, or fourteen to twenty-nine, rather. Okay, uh, that's so they will a give, big cohort. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. It's basically so um, you have. Uh, five institutions of um, organizational life in North Korea. So there's mm. the um, the uh, the Young Pioneers, the Youth League, the Labor Unions for people who don't get into um, the the party, the party mm. itself, uh, and then uh, the Women's League uh, for mm. women who are not uh, who are not uh, uh, in in the uh, in the workforce. But um, anyways, so uh, this this letter was um, was really interesting for four for four basic reasons. First. Uh, economically, uh, Kim, um, uh, set, uh, set a 15 year deadline on creating a very prosperous country. Uh, so, uh, his father, the Kim Jong il era was kind of famous for the strong and prosperous nation slogan. We're going to build a strong mm. and prosperous nation by 2011, 2012. It was 2012, actually, uh, for the centennial of Kim Il Sung's uh, birthday. Uh, but it looks like uh, that's been forestalled for another 15 years, mm. uh, uh, promising prosperity in which all North Koreans can enjoy happiness. Uh, we'll see if that happens, but, uh, yes, that, that's a, that's a deadline to keep an eye on. The second reason it was interesting actually was because, the, like we talked about earlier, the, 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 the Youth League, which used to bear the names of both Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, was renamed to the Socialist Youth League, as it used to be known, um, I think before the death of Kim Il-sung. Um, and the only person who could order this, obviously, is Kim Jong-il himself. If any other cadre were to ever even suggest it, it would probably be considered to be an act of treason, and the person would probably be lucky to just be shot in the back of her head. Um, but uh, either way, Kim, Kim Jong-il has decided to remove the names of uh, his, uh, his father and grandfather from the second, you know, one, well, second largest organization in the country after the party, maybe the third, and one of the most important organizations, arguably, in the country, because young people are more likely to um, rebel than old people. And they're potentially far more dangerous as uh, vectors of foreign culture as well. But um, yes. Does this name change, Peter, mean that communism, sorry, that socialism and or communism is undergoing some sort of revival in North Korea? Yes, I, I think it does reflect um, changes in uh, ideology. Um, I think that the North Koreans are sort of reviving the idea of communism in their official discourse. Mm. Um, if you do a search on KCNA Watch, you'll see that uh, most references to communism in the Kim Jong-il era were either historical references to Kim Il-sung and his and his period, or they were references to foreign communist parties. The idea of communism sort of died uh, under Kim Jong-il. The idea that, you know, so from socialism, we will eventually reach communism, etc. But it looks yeah. like Kim Jong-un is sort of trying to think about reviving it. But it's not entirely what he means by communism. It seems to be maybe uh, a, a prosperous and uh, prosperous society or, or something or something along such lines. But either way, it's an interesting development. Yeah. Uh, go on to the uh, third and fourth reasons why this letter was interesting. 
So uh, the third reason uh, is something I'm sure we'll all be a bit concerned about. It's this continued uh, ongoing uh, crackdown on so-called anti-socialist uh, activities. So whether it be the uh, speaking like, a, uh, you know, using having a South Korean accent or, you know, mm. speaking with South Korean intonation or using South Korean slang or uh, having uh, non-socialist haircuts a non-socialist fashion, you know, wearing blue jeans, or engaging in market activities of various kinds, which are officially prescribed by the state, not prescribed, but prescribed as in illegal. Uh, yes. Is um, South Korean culture ever mentioned specifically or anything South Korean at all? Uh, occasionally, I think I have seen some references in declassified speeches, and you see quite a lot of it in internal documents leaked to Daily but not in this Press, etc. Uh, no, 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 it's not. But okay. uh, the references to language, um, uh, linguistic, literally language etiquette, it can't really mm -hmm. be anything else, so far as I can tell. But maybe, and, and especially greeting etiquette, but maybe, maybe there's some way you could spin it uh, if you wanted to that it's not about South Korea. But to me, it seems quite likely it is, uh, especially in the context of other documents we've seen come out over the last year. All right. And the fourth reason? Well, this for me is the most interesting one because it points to actual sort of um, developments inside the country and inside North Korean society. So basically, Kim Jong-un takes issue with organizational failure uh, inside the Youth League. So the Youth League not uh, ensuring that everyone who should be a member, everyone between the ages of 14 and 29, is a member and is an active participant, uh, which which implies, a, you know, sort of a level of organizational disorder or uh, you know, inefficiency, which you rarely see um, admitted in, in open access documents. Uh, and then there yeah. were also reference. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I just assumed that everyone in North Korea would be participating in organizational life because it's almost impossible to get out of it. But this is suggesting that people who should be members, so people between the ages of 14 and 29 who should be members of the Socialist Youth League, actually not all of them are. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it implies. And it's really bizarre because mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we all, uh, all of us who are interested and have read about organizational life get the impression that the all-seeing eye of the, you know, the North Korean state is able yes. to register and to account for every single person, in, person. but it seems not. Uh, and this is a very frank admission. Another interesting thing was a uh, reference to the fact that uh, the, the, the members, uh, the membership of certain uh, organizations in the countryside, but also elsewhere is in decline. Uh, and this is not that surprising because North Korean demographics are not what they used to be either. It's not quite a, the demographic situation in the North is not quite as bad as South Korea, China or Japan. But it's You're obviously about the low birth rate. Yeah, the low birth rate. And you can we're now starting to see it by the looks of things in the North Korean youth organizations as well. Mm. Uh, and this this seems to concern uh, Kim Jong-un. I imagine he said more about it in private than he did in the letter. But the, the references were interesting. But most important and most interesting for me, at least, was the references to the social tasks. So this is North Korean jargon. Uh, um, for basically uh, lower people who are not the leader uh, telling their subordinates to pony up cash or supplies or do corby labor work for free. Um, basically, you know, basically, I, I, I think a good way of describing North Korea, and this is a term I take Paul Gregory's uh, book on Stalinism, but North Korea is like a nestled dictatorship. So every everyone under the dictator who has subordinates acts as a dictator, acts as their own sort of mini Kim Jong Un. So your your local party secretary or your local factory manager or you know uh, your local uh, you know uh, what's it called, a collective farm uh, 
chief uh, will act as a dictator over their subordinates. And they will, just as Kim Jong-un orders uh, members of the Politburo to find resources to build his latest um, latest apartment project or, you know, to fund his uh, his, his new solid gold diamond studded toilet seat, uh, the local uh, party secretary will do something similar on a smaller scale with people under under him or sometimes her. And he's basically taking issue with that. Okay. I wonder yes. if, if, if that's a more academic way of saying that the abused become the abusers or that uh, the excrement tends to roll downhill. Well, I, I couldn't possibly say so. I, you may very well say so, but I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> very good. Uh, this letter is that we have from the Social Issues League, is that uh, a letter that's available to the outside, that is to foreign readers, or is that actually a uh, strictly internal document that was smuggled out of North Korea? Unfortunately, I don't have smuggling capacity. So yes, it's um, it's a letter that was published on KCNA. Uh, so it's available to everyone, as long as you can read Korean. They may translate it. I'm not sure if they've translated it. Okay. And and can you draw any larger or long-term implications or conclusions from this letter or the meeting that it addressed? Well, the 15-year target is interesting. The references mm. to communism are interesting. Uh, and in, so the 15-year target implies that Kim Jong-un seems to have some kind of grand plan for the future. Uh, or at least he wants us to believe he does. Uh, the references to communism also imply such a thing to me. Uh, and the stuff about uh, st- secular demographic decline, I think, confirms what we had, uh, what we, what we, what we suspected and what some North Korean data sort of seemingly indicates. But, uh, beyond sort of general sort of vague ideas, I'm not sure how much can be drawn from it, to be honest. I suppose the de-emphasis of the cult of his father and grandfather is, is another trend also we should probably highlight. It's very interesting. Yes. Something to be followed there for sure. Now, to go back to that concept, uh, Peter, of the the nestled dictatorship, remind me, what was it that Kim Jong-un said in his letter about that practice of, uh, of, you know, people at the top uh, pushing people down the bottom to do things for them? Was he well, encouraging quite, that or was he discouraging that? He was discouraging it. Basically, in, in North Korea, this would be called, in Korean, which is literally social tasks or sewebudam, like... T- um, uh, uh, burdens outside of taxation. And what it is basically, what was really remarkable about the references is he was very precise about who is doing it. And he said that basically everyone from the uh, central, central provincial, municipal and county levels, uh, could be, were, were involved in this. Um, and what, what, what this involves is basically, so your factory manager, uh, wants, uh, to, um, uh, I don't know, he, he wants to, how would I explain this? So it, it can take a variety of different forms. It can be for one's one's own personal enrichment, or it could be for the good of the firm, as it were. So the factory mm-hmm. manager might command his subordinates to go off and find some concrete to build a new warehouse, mm-hmm. uh, and they will just have to go off and find concrete, regardless of uh, you know, regardless of whether they have a way to get it, and they will have to raise funds, go to the market, buy the concrete, or go to the market, buy the materials, and then be able to so that they can then produce the concrete. You know, it may be inside the factory, but the factory manager may also want to get some glass to redecorate his office or some wallpaper to redecorate his office and he might order order some of his subordinates to do that as well or he might order some of his subordinates to you know help you know help out you know refit his office and this all sort of or he might order his subordinates to pony up the cash to to so that he can do that and all of this sort of falls under the same sort of social tasks or you know uh, burdens outside of taxation and it's it's been a problem that kim jong-un has talked about quite a lot in internal documents that have been leaked and occasionally in open access documents but it's it's yeah it's it's a it's a it's a functional feature of the north korean system under marketization and it's been a serious problem since since the 1990s from what i can tell does that not get thought of as uh, corruption in north korea 
I mean, it, some of it is corruption and some of it isn't, you know, as in, it depends who, who's benefiting, I guess. Right. I guess it would be considered corruption in broad brushstroke, but, yeah. you know, let's say, for instance, the factory wants to boost pr- production. Is, is, uh, is telling workers to go off and find glass and concrete or, I don't know, uh, bring money in to help fund the new production line. Is that corruption? Well, yeah, it is in one sense, but in another, yeah. it doesn't necessarily directly benefit the factory manager. So right. it's kind of a bit, but yeah, you could basically consider it corruption. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Peter. James, what stories uh, will you be, or what things will you be looking at this month, month of May? Uh, definitely the uh, upcoming summits between Biden and Moon Jae-in is, is, the, is the main one. Do we have a date the, for that already? I believe it is May the 21st. Yeah, we've still got a little while to go, and it, it will be interesting. It will be interesting to to see um, if if we can tell whether President Moon leaves that meeting feeling like he's he's managed to persuade uh, the Biden administration to his way of thinking a little bit, mm-hmm. um, or whether his last year in office um, might be, um, from his perspective doomed to failure on the on the North Korea front. Okay, thanks. Uh, Min what have you got your eye on this month? Uh, I am looking for more indications that trade may be restarting between North Korea and China. Uh, if not government-to-government trade, um, I think everyone is very excited for the prospect of full-on commercial trade. Not sure we're, we're going to get there yet, but all the indications that I've seen are that Restrictions are beginning to loosen, and uh, that that can be pretty optimistic. Um, is that a function of uh, the Chinese rollout of vaccinations? I really cannot say. What I will say, though, is that North Korea has proved extremely resilient um, in the face of its own border lockdowns, uh, which yeah. have been tougher than uh, what, what any like sanctions um, policymaker would have. Uh, dreamed of yeah um, and maybe we are seeing the limits of uh how long that can be sustained and coupled with like you said the vaccine rollout within china and that china has actually had a pretty good track record of keeping coronavirus contained oh i think all these things are coming together mm, yeah uh, and peter what have you got your eye on the next few weeks um, well, I will certainly be interested in what's going on with trade, absolutely. Uh, same yeah. as Michelle on that front. Um, aside from that, uh, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really a, a news follower so much mm. as a sort of long trends guy, but, yeah. um, I will be keeping my eye on the wire as I always do, hoping to see more interesting speeches from the leadership or more stories about, uh, developments in North Korea's uh, state-owned enterprise sector and, uh, you know, obviously the farm, uh, the, the collective farm sector. Because we're still not entirely clear what what the direction of uh, the uh, economic policy is um, uh, following the Congress. A lot of what was coming out of the Congress was very sort of seemingly quite uh, centralizing and uh, moving away from uh, uh, the autonomy uh, mm. uh, given to uh, state-owned enterprises. But it's it'll be interesting to see in the weeks and months ahead whether whether that tone is is continued or uh, we start to see a return to the more sort of shall we say. Uh, mild reformist rhetoric that we 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 saw before. Excellent. Well, that's a great place to uh, to finish off. Uh, thanks today for joining us on the podcast, Minchow Choi, Peter Ward, and James Fretwell. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.
We'll hope to talk to you all again soon. Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News account and you're a think tank, business or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. And our thanks, as always, to you, James Fretwell, and also Tanner <laughs> Carroll and Gabby Magnuson for facilitating this podcast. <laughs>